0: distance in Asia where we were on a training camp for a few weeks and then doing a tour for a few weeks all of a sudden you're there i think we're up there for like over two months and you can't pack that many protein bars so you have to kind of learn adapt to the food there and i often found i was eating generally out of the 7-elevens because all the nutritional information was on the packet whereas when you go and buy from a restaurant it was like you didn't really know what you're getting Hello
1: and welcome to the Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Steph Gaskell.
2: And I'm Alan McCubbin.
1: We are both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask and it's the stuff you talk about during your training session or it might be um, in your recovery after at the coffee table Uh, and what we aim to do is is break down that question um, and invite a guest expert or practitioner for usually our part A episode and then we invite an athlete or a coach to add their perspective, and that's in our Part B episode. So today we're up to Episode 35B, How Should I Plan My Nutrition Whilst Travelling for Races? And we're lucky enough to be joined by Ben Hill, who is a professional road racing and e eSport cyclist. So I, I was lucky enough to get to learn what eSport is all about so you'll be able to learn about that um, and what we do is we get to discuss what he experienced as a cyclist in terms of nutrition while traveling domestically and internationally and common nutrition issues and or challenges that he experienced in both domestic and international travel and um, and some tips that he um, benefited from to help overcome these issues so first of all most importantly how are you going our lovely uh summarizer al mccubbin
2: <laughs> thanks steph um i'm well i've recovered from my food coma over the the long weekend <laughs> yes. uh, for me it was chocolate eggs was it chocolate eggs or hot cross yes. buns for you
1: Oh, well, I've had hot cross buns for like the whole year. I was so... going to say,
2: they, <laughs> they come onto the shelves like the day after Boxing Day, don't they?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, all of it, really. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yep, yep. fair what enough. What about so... the kids?
1: Did they go crazy with the eggs?
2: Well, my kids are funny. They're crazy on hunt, like finding the eggs. Yeah. But they take like eight months to eat them all. Mm, they sit in, cool. in a cupboard in a bucket and occasionally they ask for one.
1: So that's is it funny. more the parents that don't resist, and then I think yeah. so.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we missed the the episode last week, Steph, because I think both of you and I were uh, in a food
1: coma.
2: Uh, yeah, in a food coma from from the Easter long weekend, but that's okay. So yeah, there's been that. There's been school holidays. The kids are finally back mm-hmm. this week, which is good. good. Um, yeah. Did a, did a few sort of outings with them. Got to go to the drive-in movies for the first time with them, which was a bit of a novelty. So, yeah, it was yeah, good. Yeah, awesome. Mm, and how about yourself?
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, going well. Still um, getting through the stats as I, I think I spoke about last time I was doing that. Um, but like you said, it's um, actually exciting to do because you, you know, get to actually find out mm. um, what's what's going on um because just yeah um always so many stats that you can do um uh but it's it's getting there um and so my reward is coming soon as well um because I'll be off to Margaret River for the Margaret River Ultra Marathon that's um organized by Rapid Ascent um, yeah. And, yeah, we spoke about that one last time. So that's for Pascal's um, study, which is looking at the impact that running in youth uh, has on, um, you know, the gastrointestinal health. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've, um, we'll we be looking into that, which is, is cool. And then I get to have a little bit of a mini holiday after with my partner and get in some winery visits and... Um, nice. Still, still keep myself fit out because um when I get back I'm um just running a, a small um, five
2: hours. Hmm. It is a small five hours.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of pie. Piece of pie. Yep.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, and, and thanks to those who uh, have listened to the podcast and inquired about the study because uh, I think we've just about recruited everyone. We could probably do with maybe one or two more female participants. Yes. Uh, but other than that, we've pretty much got everyone we need for the study, which is fantastic because this study has been going on and on and on since yeah. before COVID, so I'm really looking forward to getting it finished.
1: Yeah, and everyone, I'm sure the listeners, yeah, um, Are excited to be able to see what the results are as well um Mm, definitely really exciting yeah so social media shout outs um and questions our um what's been happening
2: yeah well not much while we've been in our food coma but um that's right (laughs) we've been a bit quiet on social media and and obviously you know you don't put much out, you don't get much back, but yes. um, certainly after our last episode with uh, Jess Rothwell around travel and nutrition, we got one uh, comment back from Robin Cakes on Instagram saying, oh, great topic, awesome. Um, she's been working with Jess on her own nutrition. So mm. yeah, that was cool. Nice. Um, but yeah, other than that, it's been pretty quiet on the old socials, but yeah. um Of course, you're not quiet and and you're still very social, Steph. So people have been (laughs) contacting you. Um, Who's been talking to you since last time?
1: Well, I I had a recent message from um, Erin Colbert. Um, So she's from the wonderful, we know, Adelaide. Um, But she heard, I think, from our previous podcast episode that I was going over to Perth. So um, Erin's going over to Perth. to run over there in that same event and she also heard that i was doing your study and i think in in a roundabout way she said am i mad because she (laughs) did the study and she said she probably would not do it again (laughs) thanks erin not not because of your company Al. um but <laughs> I think she, no, she enjoyed it um, and uh, she wishes me luck <laughs> and survival. Um, <laughs> and then we had, I had um, Jason Cheshire from Infinite Nutrition um, who um, says that, yeah, he feels like he gets to keep up with um with me and in touch with me through the podcast. And it's funny, I've had a few of my um, friends also say that, like Olivia Warnes from Adelaide and and Alice actually, um, McNamara say, you know, even though we don't, get to catch up they they kind of catch up with what what we're up to from the mm. podcast so yeah. that's nice do you get the same comment now? does your wife um, say i don't see much of you
2: <laughs> <laughs> no no i don't <laughs> um, occasionally from from people i know in, in cycling and things but yeah not not a not a massive amount not as not as much as you steph you're a person of the people <laughs> Um, all right um but yeah just a reminder that if you uh, have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast you can contact us via social media at the long munch on facebook twitter or instagram um or you can just go find steph and have a chat to her
1: (laughs) you can you can so today's episode episode 35b how should I plan my nutrition whilst travelling for aces? We're lucky enough to have Ben Hill, who you um, have worked with. Our so um, I'll let you do the intro to Ben.
2: Yeah, so Ben Hill is a uh, pro cyclist. So he sort of stepped back a little bit from that in the last couple of years, which we'll talk to him about in this interview. Um, but he's been, you know, very well known on the domestic cycling scene in Australia here for for a bit over a decade now. Um, Has ridden for a few different teams there with the National Road Series and then some UCI Continental teams. And um, through that done, obviously, a lot of domestic travel for racing. And we'll talk about that because, obviously, that's relevant to a lot of people who travel mm-hmm. interstate for their races. Um, but then he's also, uh, through the UCI Continental teams he's, he's ridden for, has then done uh, a lot of travel overseas as well. So uh, particularly the UCI Asia Tour. Um, and then towards the end of his career, more the, the UCI European tour as well so we'll talk to him a little bit about that in terms of his experience um yeah both the the domestic travel and the international travel i guess when you're just sort of flying in for a couple of days and racing uh and then flying out again or when you're going overseas and living out of home for an extended period of time as like a bit of a training base where you you know you're staying there for a few months at a time and then traveling from there in and out to to races as well because obviously that's a situation that people will encounter also and some of the logistical challenges that are different with those different kind of setups. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of his career, Ben's been involved at at the pointy end of the National Road Series and and other events for for some time. He's had, uh, you know, so many results I couldn't even list them here, Uh, Mm -hmm. thinking about all the various sprint jerseys, King of the Mountain jerseys, um, you know, Podiums in in various stages and 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 general classification for some races as well. So uh, I won't won't go into all of them here, um, but uh, we'll talk to him at the end. He, he loves a breakaway, as many people that know Pen mm-hmm. will know, um, and therefore he gets in contention for a lot of jerseys along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome, cool. Well, let's um let's get stuck into it.
2: Yeah, let's do it. Ben Hill, welcome to the Long Munch. How are things going in
0: Canberra? Uh, things are good. Uh, it's getting cold and wet now, but generally yep. pretty good. Yeah, you
2: still still doing most of your riding outside, or are you on the trainer?
0: Uh, in in the trainer mostly. Uh, Trying to get out a few times a week, but yeah. Um, it'll be more indoors as as the winter comes. I'm turning a bit softer in my old age.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and that kind of alludes to my, my first question. You know, you've been riding on the road and racing with a variety of teams for, you know, well over a decade now. Um, but I guess things have changed up a bit for you in terms of that and you, you sort of your cycling career in the last couple of years. Um, do you want to tell us sort of what you're up to now and, and how things have changed for you?
0: Yeah, uh, so... I was running for um, in Europe a, a few years ago in 2019 and uh, my now wife Rebecca was racing in America and we'd done a, a distance thing for a few years and we kind of decided it was um, time to settle down and, and start a family and get some serious jobs. So um, <laughs> we, in 2020 we, uh, we both got jobs and, and had our daughter Ava uh and it worked out really well because that was when coronavirus came and all the racing stopped yep. so we actually like we nailed the timing there um <laughs> and and since then sort of been racing domestically in australia i still love cycling and i still try and um get the most out of my body as i can in the time i have uh which is becoming less and less with the family and the mm-hmm. job but still managed to stay competitive in the australian scene and and racing a lot more esports these days, um, which is mm. kind of one hour racing, and I can stay very competitive over that distance mm. without leaving your home too. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So tell us a little bit about the east side of esports side of things. So this is you know racing on a on a trainer using Zwift or, or software like that. How do you find it, or, or what sort of comparisons do you make, or how is it similar or different to racing on the road?
0: Uh, it's 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 similar in the way that it's. Um, like, same physiology, uh, but there's a lot of, like, nuances to, to it and you got to learn the platform about when to use your energy and when you can save and uh, you have to – it is it is a game. Um, you have to play it a lot to, to understand how certain elements work and how the formula of the bunch interacts with each other and they keep updating these formulas and make it easier or harder for a breakaway to get away and um, the riders sort of develop – Tactics on how to get organized. Like you can't communicate, you can't like you can in the real world. World to get a breakaway going, um, you sort of have to um, do little things to give hints that it's like your turn to pull turn, it's my turn to pull turn. You can't just yell at someone like you would outside. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's quite difficult to learn, uh, but I found it. it's found it like feels the competitive hole a lot for me and it is a lot of similar to road racing in a lot of aspects. So it sort of transfers very easily.
2: Yeah, yeah, cool. And the UCI now got a, an official World Championships for, um, for, for this and you were part of the Australian team for that um, just at the start of the year. How do you actually get involved with something like that? Do, is there like an official selection or do you apply or how does it work?
0: Uh, well, the first uh, eSports World Championships was in 2019. And I think they just put the feels out to a lot of uh, people. That it was, I think it was open. If, if you had a Cycling Australia license, say, you got an email saying, do you want to be considered? Um, mm-hmm. So I put in an expression of interest. And I think to um, Oz Cycling's credit, they, they gave it to a lot of the people who were playing the game um, as opposed to a lot of other countries gave it to professional road cyclists that didn't necessarily know the game. Um, mm-hmm. and then they, their, their country struggled a bit in the first world championships. Yeah. Um, whereas in this, the recent one in 2020, it was like people that know the platform quite well, um, do, do better. And so yeah. I think cause I, I was fifth in the first world championships and I've stayed quite competitive. There's like a pro league now on, um, on Zwift where you can actually make a bit of money, uh, racing, yeah, right. but it is. Um, and I've, I've been doing a bit of that racing and so I've stayed in touch and then um, I was selected again for the, the recent one with my brother and a few um, of, of the other of my friends that race in my pro team. Yeah. Uh, and we managed to – my teammate um, Jay Vine from Canberra also, he won the eSports Championships and another Australian, mm. Freddie, was second and I was fourth. So Australia did – Really well in the in the World Championships there,
2: yeah, yeah, and obviously Jay's been riding over on the on the pro circuit on the road as well with Alpers and Phoenix. So yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. how does it work like with the World Championships in terms of ensuring that like all your equipment's legit and you're not cheating in any way in terms of you know under quoting your body weight that's entered into the system and all that kind of stuff.
0: The so um, the equipment side of things, they send you a trainer. Um, you have to go through a few like processes to show them that the firmware is up to date, and you've you've ridden it a couple of times to make sure it's calibrated properly. Um, and so with that equipment, and then directly after the race, you have to send the equipment back to them, so then they can have check over it, and make sure it hasn't been tampered with or anything. Yeah. So that's the equipment side of things, and the weight. Um, the you have to do a video weigh in of yourself within two hours of the event and mm. this um, process over the two years has got more and more refined and the video gets longer and longer in terms of um, having to show underneath the scales what the surface is, having to having to show the scales. You, you weigh a weight on the scales and then weigh yourself on the scales and then weigh your weight and weigh yourself with the weight on the scales mm-hmm. and doing a yeah, right. live Google search of the time to make sure it's like the time and dates correct and it's it the video is a bit of a process but you um that's how you verify your weight yeah and the way you're saying it, it almost sounds
2: like you know sports integrity australia will send out like the anti-doping people soon <laughs> with a set of scales and actually weigh you in person yeah
0: i've been i've been um tested several times since world championships and i'm pretty sure it's all all from the esports side of things and not to do with the wow. road cycling
2: yeah, yeah. interesting yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, now, and we obviously uh, worked together for a couple of years. You rode for a team called a Taki Team Gusto, as it was at that time. And, and the final year of that team, it was registered in Slovenia. Um, and the sports director was Slovenian. And the team was based over there, like, while you were travelling in Europe and racing. And the team sort of folded at the end of that year. But some of the staff and sponsors and yourself and, and one or two other riders ended up moving across to a Slovenian team. Um, called uh, Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia as well. Um, and you found yourself there teammates with a, a young under-23 rider by the name of Tadej Bogacca, who's uh, obviously now won a couple of Tour de France's. But what was he like as a teammate on and off the bike?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, he was he was a legend. Um, he reminded me a lot of Jai Hindley, who we were with um, at tacky gas. Yep. So just very laid back. Um, I think they both had like so... So much talent it was not really stressful for them they didn't feel like they were competing against the rest of the riders and um, he was he was so happy to like help I, he gave me a few lead outs for sprints and um, he was he was more than happy to work for anyone else if they showed any side of potential but as soon as the road went uphill it was it was all for him more <laughs> or less because we all knew he could win and we couldn't yeah um, and yeah he was Easy going and, and laid back and great on and off the bike.
2: Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, and now this episode is about nutrition while travelling for, you know, either training or, or racing. Can you tell us about maybe some of the either best or worst or most strange accommodation you came across as a cyclist?
0: Uh, travelling around um, Asia, there was a few, like, few places in Japan where there was, like, fold-out beds on the ground and, I remember before Tour of Qinghai Lake, we were at Altitude and um, there was bunk beds like three high and we had like six people per room and we were sharing it with a bunch of um, a Chinese attacky team that was there um, doing a training camp and then a bunch of staff came to like film and stuff and they're all like laying out mats on the floor and we had like a big... We had it was all crammed into this like small accommodation, and um, there was nowhere to clean the bikes. We were like cleaning the bikes in the showers while we're there, and it was just it was just chaos. Um, yeah. And at the same time, would then go the tour would start, and would be like going from five star hotel to five star hotel, and you'd have like a whole floor to yourself at these like mansions, and yeah. you'd just like well this is this has gone to like total opposite direction. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, thinking about traveling for domestic races like the National Road Series, um, as a team, you organize your own accommodation for most events. So, how does that tend to work? Um, does everyone do their own thing or do the team organize it all for you?
0: Uh, the team, yeah, I think. Most teams will organise everything for the riders, although um, if the riders have any input in it, they're still, everyone stays together. Uh, generally around the NRS, it's at caravan parks um, and pretty pretty low-level accommodation. Um, but, uh, like, sometimes you'll get an Airbnb these days, which are quite nice, and especially yeah. if the tour, like, you're staying at the same place for a few days, Um they might get you into something a bit more comfortable. But there's a bit of a scale between the teams as well and um, what they prioritise in terms of accommodation. And sometimes, like, the, the people with the money prefer good accommodation and you might get somewhere nice. Uh, but mm-hmm. generally it's caravan parks.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, do you have to cook for yourselves or does someone from the
0: team cook for you? I've been lucky enough that I think my first team, uh, we were all, we took in turns of cooking back in about 2011, um, but since then, I've been on teams where someone's cooked for me um, and I haven't, haven't had to do that.
1: Do you no- normally like cooking or are you quite happy that you've got to, that you've got to cook for you?
0: Uh, no, I'm, I'm a terrible cook. I, I don't like cooking. It often frustrates me how I spend an hour cooking something that takes me five minutes to eat and doesn't, to eat. doesn't seem right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and your partner's a cyclist as well, is she the same or?
0: Yeah, she, we very much think along the same lines with, with food and we've really got into like HelloFresh a lot lately because it takes out the, the thought of um, what to eat yeah. so much because that's half our battle getting organised and going to the shops and deciding what we want, Um, and it stopped us getting takeaway so much.
2: Yeah. And particularly when you're away for stage races as well, like you've done a big stage, you're absolutely knackered, and you've got to Mm -hmm. recover for the next day. You've got bikes to clean and, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: wounds to dress potentially if you've come off the bike or something like that. The last thing you want to do is sit down and then cook as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it generally often ends up being a big, big bowl of pasta something something easy
1: yep. yep yep um and and what challenges have you found eating with the team when traveling compared to when you're doing a local race and and staying at home
0: uh yeah sometimes like you you might not get exactly what you want um like you're you get whatever the team's eating um mm. i think i think these days it's pretty commonly accepted that well not these days, since the dawn of time, I think cycling is commonly accepted that pasta and rice are good, good pre-race yes. meals. Um, but like if, if um, like they make it a real creamy dish or they might put a big steak with it or something like that you might not necessarily cook yourself, um, then you're like, you just have to go with the flow. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not particularly, I'm not too fussy um, with what I eat. So I don't, I don't, generally find it upsets me. Mm-hmm.
1: Have you found other people get quite upset?
0: Yeah, I have had like some some teammates that will um that will only eat certain things and they'll be quite picky and I had one teammate that just would he would often just uh boil himself eggs because he'd just want eggs and, and pasta. That's that's all he'll eat while he was on tour. Um but <laughs> if he's happy to do that himself then yeah. then that's fine. Yep.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and any tips or things you've learned over the years that make things a bit easier when you are travelling domestically for a race or, or for training camp?
0: Um, I find like I don't like to be uh, stuck without protein, so I'll often um take my own like protein powder um to have like after a stage if if the team doesn't have it because. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but I like to make sure I do have that, and also just like um, when traveling, I'll have like protein bars with me. If I feel like I'm getting, if the bus is broken down and I'm, I'm stuck somewhere and I I need something to eat in between, I like to have a have a protein bar with me. Hmm. Yep.
1: Yep. Um and what about equipment or utensils do you, do you take anything that you find can be quite handy or do you kind of just rely on the team for that
0: Yeah I I think um I'll take I'll take some like basic allen keys or something for my bike but generally the team's mm-hmm. got everything covered with with equipment wise and um yeah mm-hmm. I'll take yeah just like a little bit of protein or Awesome caffeine gels or something if the team doesn't have caffeine gels um, but the teams generally have it all covered,
1: so they sort you out for coffee as well because I know you know Alan and I often ask this question to every athlete and practitioner that we have um, on the episode We're like, what's one thing you can't travel without or do without, and it's always number one you know caffeine and they have to travel with um. What is it, Al? It's the
0: oh, like an Aeropress Aeropress or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I have an Aeropress which I did travel with, uh, but I'm I'm less fussy these days, and and since um having a daughter, uh, I have to get up in the morning, and the coffee machine's too noisy, so I usually make an instant coffee before anyone gets Mm -hmm. up, and I've actually quite Mm -hmm. grown to the taste of instant coffee. So if I, I and you can get instant coffee anywhere which helps when you're travelling if, you, if you're not fussy because you can always get instant yeah. coffee.
1: Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, that means you're a real caffeine lover because you'll just drink anything, right? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. caffeine. I'm, I'm the same, don't worry. Um, <laughs> um, what about, I know you've mentioned like the protein pow- um, powders and the bars. Are there any other favourite sort of foods or snacks that you pack for yourself, maybe even just, I don't know, psychologically that you just love and need to have with you. Um, we've had um, a triathlete, Emma Jeffka, on and um, her thing is Biscoff. So now oh. all our listeners are, you know, all on Biscoff. Yeah. Um, anything you want to start our listeners on?
0: Uh, well, I along along the protein lines as well, because that's the thing I normally struggle to get. I feel like there's always a service station or something that you can get some lollies from if you need a sugar hit, but um yeah. protein is not always so easy to come by especially in yeah. in asia when you didn't want to touch some of the meat um so yeah. i would travel with beef jerky a lot and that would be my go-to yeah. snack i'd pack yeah. packets of beef jerky. beef jerky
1: yeah right yeah right i'll see if the listeners <laughs> take that one on board um <laughs> <laughs> so um moving on to kind of the fly in fly out races um and nutrition for that um You've done quite a lot of racing um, overseas that we've spoken about in parts of Asia as well as Europe. Um, first of all, if we think about races where you fly in, um, do the rate and then you do the race and then you fly out, do these events tend to be catered and supported with accommodation or does the team have to source everything themselves?
0: So I think in, in Asia generally the uh everything was supplied to you. Um mm-hmm. but like sometimes we'd race in uh like tour of Thailand, our our director didn't necessarily trust the food so much. So he would bring boxes of of food uh with him, um mm-hmm. cans of baked beans or um just rice cakes, just things that he thought would get us through, um, if he didn't trust mm-hmm. some of their um Acom food. But generally, it's pretty good, especially in some of the higher-end, like, um, China races, the food's quite good um, at the hotels. Um, in, in Europe, though, there were some times when it wasn't catered for, and or it'd be catered for, but it'd be, like, a sit-down meal where they serve you a small amount. It's not like a buffet, like, at some of the Asia tour, so either it wouldn't be enough or... There was the wrong style of food, and again, the directors would have like the box. Then the box would come out with all their the food that we could pick and choose from. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Did you have um <clears throat> in some of the um, events? Um, were you lucky enough to have like a, a sports dietitian or nutritionist um, there that would support you guys? Or uh, we had um,
0: we had a chef. Um, at a few races, but yeah. I don't think he was necessarily a nutritionist. He just would mm. would cook, um, and it was usually just like pasta with shredded chicken. He would cook, um, yeah. and he worked at a restaurant. and I think he it kind of grated on, on him a little bit that um, that's all he was cooking. He would he would prefer to branch out, but the director was like, "No, no, no, just pasta and chicken. That's all they get." <laughs> <laughs>
1: and did you find it challenging like when you did get to you know when you were presented with the buffets you or did you find other teammates found that challenging in terms of maybe being tempted with too many options
0: yeah yes very much um I I always enjoyed if the stages were like about like 180 200k was what I I liked because then I felt like I could eat what I wanted Whereas when the stages were shorter, like 100, 120k, I'm like, I can't eat like it's a 200k race. I need to really <laughs> actually like measure my, my levels here. And yes. um, when there's when the tour goes on and you get more and more tired, you get less and less. And, and maybe when you get over the big hill of the tour, then you lose the plot and, and mm. all of a sudden you get home and you're like two kilos heavier than when you arrived. And you're like, oh, oh dear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you, yeah, like, any tips for the listeners in terms of what to do when you're in that situation like you know you're you know you're going to a buffet but you know you need to kind of rein in on things yeah how did you manage that
0: i would i would kind of um do like just one plate that's what I would when if I could just get down to one plate and kind of I could see everything on the plate in front of me. It gave, gave me a better gauge on how much I was eating. Um, whereas when I was like, oh, a little plate of this, a little plate of that, go back for this and that, mm. all of a sudden, oh, I haven't tried this one. Go back and get a little yes. bit more. Like, and then like I don't really I lose perspective on how much I've eaten. So if I could just yeah. get it down to like visualize the plate full of food. Um, then that sort of kept me under control.
2: And well, I guess then it's more like what you would do at home as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't eat six yeah. plates of food at home.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you ever find the opposite issue? Uh, and I have heard stories of this, I'm not sure if you ever encountered it, where, like, obviously you've got a buffet at a hotel and they've put it on for whatever tour it is. And so there's 10 or 15 different teams there, you know, with maybe five, six riders each. So, you know, you've got 100, 150 riders, to eat at this buffet, have you ever had that problem where your team or you individually have kind of rocked up towards the end and there's actually not enough food left?
0: Yeah, yeah, I can remember a few occasions um, when when we've had not enough food. Um, yeah, and one one time the DS we just booked, we just went to the Italian restaurant next door and and got extra food. Um, yeah. Another time I went to the Macca's across the road and got got some more food because I just yeah. needed to get more. And yeah. um, the third time I was like Tour to of Philippines and it was like at the breakfast there was nothing before before the race or a very small amount of food. Um, and I, I think I just ate like a heap of rice cakes or something the team had prepared before the race. Like I was caught out a little bit in that instance, but I just ate a bunch of race food to compensate. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. No, fair
2: enough. Yeah. Um, and if you, you had trouble... Um or had to be really careful. I mean, you mentioned the meat, um, and I guess that's partly a food safety thing, but partly probably the risk of contamination with maybe clenbuterol, which is obviously a banned substance, and that's been a was a big thing, particularly about five years ago in Asia. Was like don't eat the meat when you're riding there because of clen- you know the risk of clenbuterol contamination. Um, but from a more of a food safety, food poisoning issue, was this a, a major concern in a lot of those events?
0: Um, yeah, I, I I think it was. Yeah, probably early days, 2012, I did, like, tour of um, New Caledonia and I got food poisoning there. Um, but that was, like, that was pretty wild. That's not even a UCI event. That was just, like, yeah. you go to a race and there's, like, a outdoor festival going on and they set up a big feast and you see, like, the flies crawling over all the food and everyone <laughs> like, touching stuff with their hands and passing it around. And I didn't think anything much of it at the time, but yeah, that, I definitely, the whole, the whole, like I think about 80% of the field got food poisoning that tour, which (laughs) isn't a surprise. Um, Yeah. And since then, I've been pretty lucky not to get food poisoning, but I think these races are pretty, um, pretty good with keeping it under control. I remember my teammate, Tim Guy, got bad food poisoning at Tour of Philippines one year. Um, So probably... I don't, I don't know how. Um, he was like the only guy in on the team, or maybe there's one other guy. But um, yeah, so I think it's something you got to be aware of. And like some of those small tours, you'll avoid eating like salads because they're like cooked in, or not cooked, but like washed in fresh water, yeah. and they say that could contaminate. Mm. Um, so I'm happy to miss eating salad for for a few days if that's what I need to. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I guess the other thing there would be, and obviously for you guys in teams, like you've got your catering organized, it's at the hotel um, and it's all kind of standardized in a way. I guess if people are traveling individually for like a triathlon or something like that, or a marathon to a country where maybe food poisoning is an issue, I guess that's more the issue where you're probably eating out more like a tourist than an athlete, because that's what's available to you. There's not something catered where the food poisoning risk might be greater.
0: Yeah. Mm. And, and like when you're eating out, they say like to try and avoid those, like if everything's, we're told if it's cooked, like it's, it's often going to be better. Um, but yeah. then like eating a lot of like heavy food all the time. And so if you're leading into a race, you don't necessarily want to eat everything cooked, but then you're sort of mm. potentially playing with fire a little bit there with food poisoning. Mm. Mm. Yeah.
1: And, um, thinking about the, the, Travelling a bit, any tips for being able to manage um, jet, jet lag? Do you do anything specific with your meals to help adjust to the new time zones?
0: Yeah, I'll try and um, before the flight, when when it's convenient, at my earliest convenience with my day-to-day life leading into the, the flight, try and adjust the time zone. Um, but, like, you don't get too much to do that because you have to do stuff during the day. Um mm. but like you'll try and go to bed early or late the night before or sometimes I'll try and um if I need to fly sleep during the first flight, I'll just have a late night the night before home so that I'm pretty happy to sleep when I get on the plane and just try and get into the right right um time sleep wise. But with with food, um I'll not really time the meal so much around my sleeping no
2: mm-hmm. yep. okay now
0: thinking now
2: more about i guess they're sort of your races where you kind of fly in you might be there for a day or two do the race and then leave again but you've also had that experience where you've gone away from home and sort of been based somewhere for a period of time like you know we we're talking about earlier in Slovenia. Um, how have you found that in terms of having to shop and cook for yourself? Particularly, I guess if you're living in, in a country where English isn't the the main language, or you know, not commonly spoken, all the food packaging is in other languages. How have you sort of managed that?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think you might have even given me this tip about um, just learning learning the basics um of what in in China or or um japan i just learned like the symbol that was like represented protein or the symbol that represented yeah that's right i remember that now we put like a little table together yeah like um i think italian when
2: you're in in europe and um and yeah in mandarin when you're in asia in the
0: chinese races yeah so you could always kind of pick up an object and at least determine how much um, protein or calories or carbohydrate was in it um just get the macros down and it didn't really matter what it was, as long as you are hitting those macros, um, you, you just you know what you're doing.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I
0: mean, these days you've got Google
2: Translate on your phone, so it's probably yeah. not so much an issue that you can just sort of pick it up, hold your phone up to it, and away you go, kind of. Yeah, thing.
0: yeah. Hmm. But I remember the supermarket in Slovenia. I think I had bad reception and Google Translate didn't work in the supermarket, oh. it's always, <laughs> which is always a pain. Yep. Um, so be prepared. I could usually just ask someone because they all spoke or write English, but I, we would we would go to the supermarkets there and get whatever meat was on special and it would be kind of a mystery when we got home and cooked it up what meat it actually was. Um, <laughs> I remember doing lamb one time and thinking, we've never had lamb in Slovenia before. Like, this is great. <laughs> mm,
2: yeah. And then ask the locals later and hope they give you a, an answer that you like.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> what <makes> this, yeah <laughs>
2: yeah um and what about i guess i mean obviously you haven't you know all the brands are unfamiliar some of the food products will be kind of the same just different brands i suppose um some foods will be quite different or there's foods that you're used to having at home that are completely not available when you go to another country um i guess being adaptable is probably important in that situation
0: yeah yeah i felt like it was all right doing those short tours and and one-off races together because I would pack like enough protein bars or something to get me through. But when you're living um, there for a while, like we would do stints in Asia where we were um, on a training camp for a few weeks and then doing a tour for a few weeks and then would stay there for another couple of weeks before another two-week-long tour and all of a sudden you're there. I think we're up there for like over two months in in Asia Mm. at times and you can't pack that many protein bars. So you have to kind of learn and adapt to the – to the food there and find out what worked for you. But I often found I was eating generally out of the 7-Elevens uh, because the, all the nutritional information was on the packets. Um, whereas yep. when you go and buy from a restaurant, it was like you didn't really know what you're getting. Um, yeah. And it was all, always like very oily and you're like, this is probably not the right things to be eating. So, yeah, I would just be there um, at the 7-Elevens a lot. Our director would be, he read like chocolate milk was a great recovery drink, which it is. But the chocolate milk he would get this um, in China was about like 1.5 grams of protein in the chocolate milk. And I was like, this isn't really the same chocolate milk that we get in Australia, but it tastes good so I'll drink it.
2: <laughs> Drink it for the carbs anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, was there particular foods or, or nutrients that you sort of talked a little bit about protein before, but um you know domestically, but sort of overseas, were there certain either types of foods or nutrients that you found harder to kind of find an appropriate alternative or substitute for?
0: Uh it it annoyed me a bit in Slovenia I couldn't get like thick yogurt. It was all like mm-hmm. drinking yogurt and mm. all the milk was Um, long life milk. You couldn't get fresh milk, which is just like Mm. little home things that in my breakfast every morning is like cereal with yogurt and milk, and um, it was like a lot of like sugary cereals with um, long life milk and runny yogurt, and I was like, this isn't just just isn't the same. (laughs) No, no, completely different. Do they not um,
2: do they not have cows in Slovenia? Like they have to import their milk or something?
0: Well, they do. There's a lot of cows
2: around. Um, I was going to say, because yeah. you would have done a lot of riding through the countryside there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, there's machine. There's, like, if you go into town, there's, um, like, self-serve. You bring your glass bottle and you can, like, put it up against the machine and pours out fresh milk. So you can yep. get fresh milk, but it's just not in the supermarkets. Yeah. Mm. Bizarre. Weird. Yeah. And all the coffee there, like, you go to a coffee shop and it's all made on long-life milk. And, like, the espressos are fine, but if you want a milky coffee, it's like, this is that's not that good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't drink coffee, but I know my wife would definitely agree with you on that. Um, any any things, like, I guess, you know, with the benefit of hindsight uh, for some of those longer trips, is there anything you'd do differently next time in terms of things you would take with you uh, or things that you took with you that you actually found were unnecessary in the end um, or different ways you'd kind of manage it?
0: Um, I think the, the first year um, I was in Slovenia, it was like we were a bit of a mishmash with our group house. We had five guys there and we were um, trying to work things out and people were coming in and out all the time and fighting for fridge space and people were stealing each other's food. And I think by the second year we had like we got more of a group environment going where you'd have your – your nights to cook and you'd cook for everyone in the house and we got a bit more organized with our like cooking regime and um that helped the communal space a bit more because not everyone's preparing um for their own mm. meals every night and I think mm. I think by that second year we uh we sort of were our system and I was quite happy with how that went yeah yeah and
2: you were living from memory I remember skyping you guys and you were like staying above a pub or something at one stage and I remember you saying like like we we don't have a kitchen here so we just have to eat the meals that they make at the pub and by the second month you're like well we've eaten everything on the menu
0: four times already and we're just sick to death of it
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah that that wasn't that wasn't so bad and I was quite open well we hadn't eaten everything because the guys there were a bit more fussy than I was um yeah but I remember one time the the cook was like, oh, the, the Azerbaijan team that stays with us, um, I'll cook I'll cook uh, their favorite meal for you guys. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I was like, what is it? And he's like, oh, it's livers. And wow. I just, I've just had a blood test where I was, like, really low in iron, and I read that liver was good for that. So I was like, yeah, 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 livers, livers for dinner. That sounds good. <laughs> so all the boys came home from their long rides starving for dinner, and I was like... A bunch of livers waiting for them. And I'm like, oh, it's John team's favourite meal. But <laughs> nah, they weren't real happy with me. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And that team that's was fair. like, a,
2: you know, a real multinational team as well. Like you had guys from um, like Australia, the US, Taiwan, uh, and then various European countries and Kazakhstan as well. Yeah. Um, so did you find that was difficult in terms of meeting everyone's sort of food preferences and needs because they all have sort of different, I guess, food backgrounds and experiences
0: yeah yeah um it was like i think there was uh the especially the the asian guys sort of really liked they missed i think they their food culture was more different to the rest of us um Mm. so they struggled a bit with uh with how they were eating and they would often go to the asian grocers to get to get stuff which there was one near there and they would just get like noodles cuz that's what that's what they were used to um yeah but the the yeah like we had german and polish and kazakhstan i don't remember them being particularly fussy with anything they were eating mm. so um, i think yeah. they were pretty similar lines for us, to us
2: yeah yeah
0: any other kind of amusing stories
2: from yourself or teammates where you kind of all this planning went horribly wrong with your travel and
0: your, your nutrition uh, well, I I just remember a couple of times when when our we're in this pub in Slovenia and we'd all sat down to a big um pizzas. We'd all ordered pizzas from the from the pub, and we didn't get it that often. But we we're sitting down these pizzas, and our director's board he in with his wife, and he just got so angry that we're eating pizzas, and then. My teammate, Guy, just starts putting mayonnaise on his pizzas and the director's wife is just like, what are you doing? This is like making something bad so much worse, like you can't be doing this. And he's just like staring at it, putting more and more mayonnaise on the pizza (laughs) and just in in front of her. He's just this guy, like you can't tell him he's doing the wrong thing or he'll just do it like (laughs) twice as much. And... (laughs) The next day we were getting smashed in training because he's just like, you have to go out and do like six hours of efforts today because you ate pizza for dinner. <laughs> like it was a crime. And then yeah. on the way to the next race, we got stuck and we, there was nowhere to eat lunch or we hadn't planned out somewhere for lunch. And we stop at Macca's and he orders us all like McDonald's burgers for lunch the day before a race. <laughs> and I was like, this is the same guy that I was just telling him. I was not eating pizza, did you go. Yeah. Anyway. Well you're lucky
2: you are lucky he's not Italian because he would have got you for the pizzas, but also for putting mayonnaise on a pizza. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's not cricket. Yeah. Um
2: all right. So to bring this all together, I th- I guess thinking about, you know, runners, cyclists, triathletes who might be preparing to travel for a race for the first time what would be your kind of your top tips or advice you'd give people in terms of how to best prepare for something like that?
0: I think um, just practice um, like your nutrition. Um, like if you have anything, if you, if you do your, your standard breakfast and make sure you can get that breakfast before the race and um, if, you're, if you think you're going to eat 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour for the race but you haven't practiced that in training um you might get like stomach problems or something like just try and practice at least a few times what you aim to achieve in the race nutritionally um in training and then make sure you can do that again on race day uh, because i mm. think yeah if you if you can get caught out under fueling or over fueling um mm. so it's good to to yeah get that down pat
2: yeah that's Mm. steph's number one bugbear Mm. what's
1: that not practicing your nutrition yeah 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 yeah
2: Yeah, for sure
1: exactly
2: yeah all right i'm going to hand over to steph now to finish off with our bonus round
1: yeah so this is the um fun bit where our listeners get to learn a little bit more about ben hill um i think it's all been fun steph it, it is, all yeah. fun, yeah, but um, this is just exploring something a bit different outside of bike racing. Um, so what do you do when you're not riding the bike?
0: Uh, I work for Today's Plan, which is a, like endurance sport platform um, where we like, analyse data. And I also uh, am a cycling coach as well. Um and I have a wife and eighteen month old daughter that keeps me very busy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and what's the platform called? Today's Plan.
0: Today's Plan, yeah. Um oh, okay. it's like a uh software company that um yeah, analyses like it's like training peaks. Um uh, you might have heard yeah. of them, they yeah. Where you upload your training to um yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah and is that like a special um cycling one or is it like a range of
0: No we do we it? do uh all endurance sports uh so mm-hmm. cycling predominantly we have most analytics around that but uh, we have a lot for running and swimming as well and we're branching into rowing and any other sport mm-hmm. that has um if you upload if you record data you can upload it to the platform so you yep. can use it in some way Yeah yeah,
1: cool. Um, and um, what what's a race you've always wanted to to ride, but I guess you haven't yet been able to? Uh,
0: well, like the dream's always the Tour de France. Um, mm. I was I was hoping to do uh, like Peyrou Bay or Tour of Flanders or one of the Grand Tours. Um, that was that was always the dream and. Um, tour down under in Australia and recently because it like dropped down to the NRS level I was able to do that uh, and in 20 in 2021 I broke my collarbone um, mm-hmm. the day before uh, Wollonga and so I was like no I'll never get my chance mm-hmm. to race yeah. Ritchie up Wollonga but it was NRS again this year and I got to do it so that was like mm-hmm. a lifelong yeah. dream it ticked
2: yeah <laughs> I didn't
0: read him but it's spoiler alert yeah, it's funny when we when
2: we wrote that question, I assumed that you were going to say pay rebate actually. Yeah, hovel action. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um. And what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you haven't yet had the chance?
0: Well, when I was a kid, I remember in year ten, I represented the school for eleven different sports. Um so oh I was wow. always kind of like a jack of all trades master of none. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of <laughs> fell, fell into cycling because it was like the one sport where I actually showed a bit of uh talent for. Um and that kind of took yeah. off. Um but I think I've always had a uh a bit of a inkling to get into triathlon. So I think now mm-hmm. I'm like dabbling in that a little bit more. Um mm-hmm. and I've entered my first triathlon next weekend. Uh so we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that goes.
1: it's a good one in port Mac. um do you live by any piece of advice or um a a motto that you um yeah use uh
0: well i don't know about a life motto but i was thinking about like nutritionally i Mm. i swear by my protein to calorie ratio that's how i judge if it's a good food or not and so it has mm-hmm. more than five grams of protein per 100 calories. It's a tick for me. That's how I, yeah. that's how I live my life. It's <laughs> a good one.
1: Did you learn that by Alan?
0: Well, a little bit, okay. a little bit. Um, okay. I, I extrapolated a little bit with my, own, um, with my yeah. own research.
1: Yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. And um, one thing that you can't live without when you're travelling to events around the world.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing and we're just like, uh, I can't get, I can't, um, my phone probably is what I need the most, but that's, that's a bit Mm -hmm. boring. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I think, I think it's good that you're like easygoing, right? Because you kind of need to be when you're traveling to all of those places.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think, um I pack like my shoes in my travel on because that's something I don't want to get stuck without, but everything else kind mm. of like I can make do
2: yeah, mm. yeah, and I'll add in one more question because I'm sure everyone who sort of knows your career through cycling is probably wondering it What's with <laughs> you in a breakaway, Ben? I mean, I I could probably count on one hand the times that you haven't been in a breakaway, but is it you just glutton for punishment? Are there people in the peloton you don't like and you want to get away from them? Like, what's going on there?
0: Uh, I think I'm impatient. I just, I can't wait. I can't wait for the final. I've always always been better at using my energy than saving my energy. So um, I just kind of go for it, especially if I don't back myself. I'm not a purist, so if it's a flat finish or a big hill. I generally don't see myself as a winning opportunity there. So I take, I take my chance in the breakaway, which is most stages. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough.
2: <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Ben. It's been great to to catch up and, and chat about the training side of things and get some you know, real world experience about, you know, what it's like to, to travel and um, organize your food and nutrition for some of these events. So uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, good luck with the, the e-racing and the, the other cycling that you're still doing
0: yeah thank you my pleasure thanks for having me
1: awesome thank you so much ben uh that was was great some really good tips in there and and ones that you learned from our which i've also learned from from our so um oh let our great summarizer do his thing
2: all right. Um, yeah, so our question obviously was how should I plan my nutrition while travelling for races? And we had obviously Jess Rothwell in our A episode and, and now Ben in our B episode. And I guess, you know, the key thing either way um, is to be organised first and foremost, um, whether you're travelling with a team, that maybe the team's doing a lot of that organisation or whether you're an individual travelling and having to organise all of that yourself. Um, obviously, you know, there'll be slightly different situations, but even if it is the team organising it, you know, you need to, you know, sort of work with the team and ask questions and find out about what the team is organising so you have some idea of what to expect and maybe what other things you, you want to organise yourself on top of what the team is organising. And obviously, you know, Ben being part of a cycling team, it's generally been the team doing that organisation, but, you know, he's still taking extra things with him um, uh, in terms of, you know, protein bars and protein powder and things where he's found that that's one of the, the foods or nutrients that's harder to get overseas when you're worried about food poisoning and things and you're um, what you're available in terms of cooking and shopping might be a bit limited in some cases. Um, so yeah, be organised I think is the first thing. Um, if you are organising your own accommodation uh, or you're responsible for a team organising accommodation, really think carefully about what you're organising if you have the choice. Obviously, you know there's limited budgets, and in some events or some situations, you're kind of forced by the location of the event or race organisation or whatever to stay in a certain place. So you may not have that choice. But if you do, uh, you know, thinking about things like Jess said, you know, a fridge and a microwave is kind of the very bare minimum. But if you can get a full kitchen to prepare your own meals and have control over that, both from a you know what you eat, but also a food safety point of view, then that's obviously a a, a really good idea if you can uh but think also about like where you're where you're located in terms of proximity to supermarkets if you don't have a car there can you walk to the supermarket to get what you need and all those kind of things restaurants that have appropriate food and so forth um i really like ben's Sort of talked about those stories where you know they would go to this place and something mm-hmm. wasn't inappropriate, so the team pulled out the box, and then they went somewhere else and something else happened, and they pulled out the box. So mm-hmm. having the box, uh, I think, is a really good idea of you know a box, even if it's a communal one, if there's a group of you traveling that has some of those just real essentials um, that that just as backups uh, for you know you get down to dinner at the restaurant and it's just completely inappropriate for for your needs um, or. Um, you know you're traveling to a country where the food is very different to what you used to when it's presented to you and you're like I don't want to eat that it's you know just so foreign to me whatever mm. then you've got some familiar foods that they might not be gourmet but at least it'll get you by it'll fill you up it'll give you the nutrients that you need um, can can be really helpful and then obviously thinking about your race nutrition supplies as well whether you can source those locally or, or whether you need to take them yourself Uh, Jess talked obviously about utensils and equipment and some of the things that are helpful there. Um, And I sort of spoke about also, you know, taking like a rice cooker or a sandwich press can be really helpful. And I've just been speaking to the triathlon guys I work with about exactly that because they're about to head over to Europe as well. Um, In terms of international foods, uh, as Ben said, you know, you go into a country where you don't speak the language, you can't read the food labels necessarily. Um, And his example, I think, was a a really good one and a a reminder that, you know, Google Translate is easy on your phone, but there are times when the internet doesn't work and Google Translate is therefore not going to work. So having, um, you know, some written down or printed out cards or something with just some of the the common translations that can be really helpful in terms of either names of foods uh, to be able to ask for them if you can't find them, or even, um, as he said, you know, the translations for, you know, energy,
0: protein, fat,
2: carbohydrate can be really helpful as well just to work out, okay, well, you're looking at this food label. I don't know how much carbs is in it, um, but if I can understand what, you know, japanese for carbohydrate is or italian for carbohydrate depending on where you are then then you can kind of get by a a bit and and helps you make some of those food choices particularly if you're going to be overseas for a period of time and have to source your own food Um, food hygiene is obviously important you know ben sort of reminded us that you know there's a lot of places where it's not safe to drink the water and you're drinking bottled water so you need to think about things like the salads that are washed in the the drinking water which may not be safe from a, a food safety point of view um you know kind of all the, the standard things you would think about if you're going on holiday obviously still apply when you when you're traveling for for your sport uh, and then finally i guess being adaptable having sort of a plans plan b you know you get down to the hotel and the food's not appropriate or the the event um you know the race dinner the night before and, and you don't like it or it's not appropriate or it doesn't meet your dietary requirements or whatever you know, making sure that there is a plan B in place. Is there another place, like a restaurant down the street you can go to or a bag of rice and a rice cooker in your hotel room that you can pull out and, you know, it's not very pleasant, but at least it'll get you the food that you need and the nutrients that you need um, is is really helpful as well. Um, So, yeah, I think just being organised, preparing ahead, um, expect that the unexpected will happen and then having sort of contingency plans for that is probably the best advice we can give.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yep. Good one. Um so next episode we are up to 36A our um what's coming up.
2: Yeah, so this was a, a topic that was um requested actually by Katie Thursday. Uh, I think I pronounced that right this time. I remember last time I completely butchered it. <laughs> um, but I think I've got it right this time. Uh, and the topic was how do my training or my training nutrition needs change when I'm pregnant or breastfeeding? So, yeah. obviously, you know, increasingly we have women that are uh, training during pregnancy, but also, you know, returning postpartum as well and then juggling breastfeeding and training. So, what are the nutrition needs for that? Are they special or different? Um, what, what do we need to be concerned about? That kind of thing. So we're joined by um, a sports dietitian from Newcastle, actually, uh, Alicia Edge, who is a mum of three and has sort of gone through this herself as an athlete, um, but also as a sports dietitian. Uh, so she'll be able to share her experiences and also some of the recommendations um, around pregnancy and breastfeeding nutrition and how that might change or um, need to be, I guess, found some practical solutions for when you add training on top of that
1: mm, yeah and i won't say who we've the athlete we've got after this one but um it's a very good um ultra trail runner who will be joining us as a follow-up with their experience in it too so please stay tuned for that one
2: indeed Hmm.
1: um Otherwise, yeah, just um, please, if you do have any questions like that one, um, we would love to answer them for you. So give us a a shout-out with any questions at The Long Munch on any of our social media platforms, um, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter and, um, yeah, please share our episodes with your friends or colleagues if you think it will be useful. Uh, We're on all your popular podcast platforms.
2: Yep. And we've got quite the back catalog there too. so uh, if you've got a question, um, you can always go back and have a look at the, the past episode list because yeah we've got we're up to we've covered 35 different topics now or answered mm-hmm. 35 different questions. So mm-hmm. uh, chances are if you've got one, it may already be there. You might just have to go back through the archive a little bit to find it. Mm-hmm. Yep yep.
1: And uh, otherwise we will love you and leave you and see you next week.
2: Yep, will do. See everyone.
1: See ya.